and welcome to Small Biz Matters, the show where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd. It is nine o'clock on Tuesday morning on Triple H 100.1 FM. Welcome to the studio and welcome to another great show where we're going to be doing lots of small business education. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking a lot a lot about government stimulus. So we're going to have a bit of a break today from that. And we're going to talk about what you can do to survive in these tough times. It is a tough time. It is a tough time for many businesses, particularly those in the retail sector and those who are just working through an incredible downturn. There was a time within living memory where we experienced something like that. And it was the last time where your business might have been impacted in this way. It has been in the last couple of months. It's been fast and it's been furious and the impact to the whole economy has been sudden. And it's not only affected you, of course, but it's also affected your stakeholders, your suppliers, your key stakeholders, your connections, basically everyone in your business or around your business as well. But the biggest question of all is, were you actually ready for this? We didn't have a crystal ball, but if you and your business had survived through the GFC or had a major downturn, what did you take from that experience and learning from it now, creating a new form of preparedness which might have helped? Well, you probably didn't have the right person with you to recognise this experience from either yourself or from their experience it could put into practice. Wayne Wanders is a virtual CFO who brings with him 35 years as a certified accountant and decades of experience working with small, medium, large businesses at every stage of their life cycle. He doesn't just he actually gets in there and rolls up his sleeves and works alongside the business to understand how their businesses get back in control. He He's joining us like everybody is at the moment on Zoom. Welcome so much to the program, Wayne. Morning, Alexa. Can you hear me now? There we go. Okay. I'm actually hearing you now. But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go to a break because I'm not hearing you through the speakers. So guess what, everyone? We've got some technical difficulties here on Triple H 100.1 FM. I'm going to go to a song and then I'm going to come back and we're going to have an interview with Wayne Wonders. We'll be right back after this. Now, Wayne, before we were rudely interrupted by a dodgy cable, we were talking, we were about to talk about your experience with working with businesses um, in pretty disastrous situations. Why can we compare what's happening now with what occurred in the GFC and um, and have those takeaways happen? Well, I think the, the key message is that while the GFC wasn't technically a recession in Australia, it impacted significantly a lot of businesses and it happened very quickly for them. And there's a lot of things that businesses did right in that period and there's a lot of things that businesses did wrong in that period. And we can sit back and have a look at what businesses did wrong and not repeat the mistakes and use that to actually learn from it and go through it. Is it possible... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, but that was because it's a long time ago. There's not a huge number of people who actually remember or experience those circumstances. So they didn't get that experience. That's exactly right. And I was going to say, obviously, um, we can talk generically about business education and we can talk in general about, uh, you know, businesses and what they experience. Are the takeaways from um, from that situation, the GFC and the crash, are they still relevant today, given the amount of time that's passed and the, the differences in technology? Are there some fundamentals that we can still learn from as businesses? There definitely are. your staff. If we go back to the GFC, I'll give you two different examples here. I'll give you, a, if you look at the, the big accounting firms during the GFC, 
they had to reduce costs, so most of them made the decision to lay off a whole lot of staff. Now, that worked in the middle of GFC. They cut costs. But at the end of the GFC, when demand returned for their services, they didn't have the staff to deliver. So their revenue growth for the period after the GFC was significantly hampered because they didn't have the, the qualified and experienced people to deliver what their customers wanted. They suffered from that. I'll give you another example of a, a tech recruiting firm I work with. Instead of sacking their staff, what they did is they everyone took a pay cut. They came on board. After the GFC, when people started recruiting for tech jobs again, they had two great advantages over a lot of their competitors. One, they had the whole team there. So they had the whole team that could go and find people. And recruiting is all about who you know. And they had all the connections from the people who are in their staff still there. So they could go and deliver and fill recruitment jobs quickly and really efficiently. So they were able to ride the upturn and their revenue growth was fairly significant after the GFC. And that recruitment company, even though it built up a huge lot of debts during the GFC, it's paid them all back. It's now still operating. It's operating in four countries around the world, all because they were smarter about how they managed their staff during the GFC. And I guess that's one of the reasons why, and I, I did promise everybody I wouldn't say the J word, but is that because, is that one of the reasons why the JobKeeper system exists, is to keep that retention of staff and keep that connection between um, your employees and your employers going so that uh, at the end of all of this, you can you can hit the ground running faster rather than retraining and rehiring? I expect that's the reason why they've done it. It's, it there's two reasons there. One is maybe hide some of the folks' so-called unemployment but from an employer's perspective, if you can keep your staff on board, when you go and reopen or when you um, things turn around, you don't have to retrain your staff. You think about how much time and effort and money is spent training your staff. And you don't want to lose it. And, and there's some industries, like, for example, the recruitment industry, when people leave that industry or lose a job, they tend to leave the industry. So the pool of talent reduces. So you're all then fighting for a reduced pool of talent afterwards. And when you're fighting for talent, you have to pay them more. So your costs go up and you don't get the right, necessarily get the right quality of people. Yeah, so, and that's, that's, a, that's an important factor, isn't it? Because we have a workforce that even since the GFC till now, a much more transient workforce that are more happy to even change careers, let alone changing jobs. Um, and then we're, we're faced with that as employers is the, the prospect of having to, having that talent drain within our entire industry, not just for our own business. Yeah, and the other one, though, which, is, which a lot of people don't realise, is the fact that if you're not looking after your staff at this time, when the conditions improve and more jobs are back out in the marketplace, guess who leaves? It's your good people who can go and get jobs. So your best staff leave... So you're left with your, I'm not going to say your worst staff, but you're left with the second tier staff and you're still trying to deliver what you're delivering before. So once again, you're putting more pressure on your business because the best staff are the ones who can get jobs somewhere else quickest and easiest. And if they weren't happy, they're going to go and you're going to have another way of struggling. You can't, you know, you've got to meet what your clients and customers want. And if your best staff leave, you're going to struggle.
Yeah, and that's that's actually a really good point. So what are the, some of those um, key decisions that you should make around your staff now? Let's let's ignore JobKeeper. Let's ignore the employment regulations around JobKeeper for now. But just some generalised, when you're in a crisis, what are some key decisions that you can make within a crisis about staffing? Okay, well, the first one really is that you don't want to adversely impact your current customers just to save a few staff bucks. So you really need to focus on your staffing and go, okay, who in my staffing are actually supporting or serving customers and who aren't serving customers? So on your your staff that are serving customers, it's not about cutting costs 20% or 15% or cutting hours willy-nilly. It's about what can you do to make those staff more effective, more efficient to better serve your customers? For example, if you've got systems and processes, can, is there something in there that they're doing that they don't really need to do that doesn't add value? Rather than saying a 20% cut, say, okay, let's get rid of that out of the process so we can save time. You know, are they doing things that, you know, there's roadblocks or processes that make it slow in the process? Try and remove them through the whole thing. Is there things that they can do that better serve your customers and add more value to your customers? So rather than necessarily cutting costs, maybe you can actually increase your revenue by delivering a, a different or better product through the whole process. So, And then on the non-customer-facing staff, you have a different set of questions. Why do you need that staff? And if you do need that staff, um, is there a way you can get that work done cheaper, quicker, Um, Maybe it's reducing their hours, converting them to part-time. Maybe it's outsourcing. Um, And and what I would say is that if I was sitting there looking at your staffing, I'd expect a higher cut in your non-customer-facing staff costs than in your customer-facing staff costs. So you're actually targeting your staff reductions to be more applicable. Because as I said, the last thing you want to do is hurt your own customers because you need pay you so you can pay your bills. Yeah, and and we all know that wages are a major slice of those expenses. And I should say, um, as a precursor, this this all sounds very brutal in the current climate that we're in because a lot of small businesses care deeply and care a lot about their staff. And and what we're doing is we're ignoring all that for now and and just, just taking a really hard look, using this opportunity, I guess, in the downturn and when everyone's having a little bit of... Uh, experiencing a bit of quiet time is an opportunity to really look at those processes and procedures and see which staff members, not necessarily the staff themselves, but actually the positions and how they add value to your business long term. So we are taking a bit of a brutal look here on Small Biz Matters. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Wayne Wonders, who is the real CFO, a huge amount of experience across a great number of sectors and sizes of businesses. And he's sharing with us some top tips on what to do during a crisis, which I think about 99% of us in small business land are in at the moment across the world. Wayne, um, let's talk about, uh, I want to talk to you about um, decisions around expenses. Now, this may seem a little bit obvious because we can we can look at our P&L, we can look at where, ways that we can strip out some of those expenses right now, and I imagine a lot of us are doing that. Um, but what are some of those key rules around expenses and, and slicing those back? Okay, once again, we go back to the key rule that you don't want to adversely impact your customers. So you've got to look at your expenses about what you're spending for it, and you don't want to really um, adversely impact your staff. So a 
couple of things I'd recommend there is that most businesses have a bunch of customers that chew up a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of cost that make no money for the business. So the first thing you should really do is understand who is contributing the most to your profit and who is contributing the least to your profit. One way to save costs may be those customers that who are not, who are chewing up a bunch of resources paying 100% for them, you either increase the prices to those customers or you reduce the service to those customers. So, But for your top profit contributors, I wouldn't do the same. I'd be saying maybe you actually retarget some resources to serve them so that they stay with you through the process. That's the first rule is look after the people who are making money for you. Then whatever's left, you need to go through and say, okay, do I need it? But you need to be fair and realistic here. Like saving 20 bucks for pizza night on Friday night for the staff well, obviously, we can't have pizza night at the moment because no one, very few people are actually <laughs> at the office. But, you know, cutting out things like that, you know, they're a, a fake saving, what I say, you know. Now, I was speaking to someone yesterday and they said some people go in there and the first thing they do is cut the stationery and, and get rid of all the higher plants. But they go in and say, the place is really dull and boring and no life. Let's get some plants in there to make it more enjoyable for people and let's get the stationery up so that we can rework the systems and rework the processes through it. So it's almost like you're trying to find a balance between what it is that produces productivity and sales versus what can you strip out that's not necessary um, to, and, and maybe everybody has to sacrifice a little bit but it's not going to impact on their productivity or happiness. Correct. You need to... It's like the old saying, when, when the when the tide's high, everyone can go out in the boat. It's when the tide goes out, you see who can really fish. When things have been relatively good, people build in a whole lot of inefficiencies and stuff that's not needed in their systems, in their process, in their expense. Now's the time to go back through everything. Basically, what I say to people is challenge all of your business assumptions, how you're doing things, why you're doing things, when you're doing things, and anything that's not adding value to your customers, it's time to strip out. Because the reality is if, if you're not doing it, one of your competitors is doing it at the moment, and when the, the economy turns, they're going to be there with a stripped-down process. They're going to be able to better, faster, quicker serve their customers, which potentially may be your customers today. So it's really about being, you know, you need to get your teams more efficient and more effective. What about the conversation that you can have with your suppliers in relation to credit and um, the you know the, the timing around cash flow? How can how can that be assisted? A better conversation with your suppliers is more driven from a conversation with your customers. Talk to your customers because what they need today may be different to what they needed a month ago. So there's no point delivering to them what they needed a month ago if they don't need it today. They need something else. So that's the first thing. Learn from your customers what they want from you today. Once you understand that, you can talk to your staff and talk to your partners about how do you deliver that. And then you may need to get your partners to deliver you something differently. And then at the same time, you talk about payment terms, what we're doing, where they're at. Can they deliver to you? There's no point promising to a customer if you can't deliver, if your partners can't help you deliver. Yeah, so that's exactly. the real conversation. It, 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 as I said, it's one of those things where it's a mindset issue for businesses. Yes, things are tough, but if you go in there with the glasses half empty and think of all doom and gloom, you're not thinking positive about how to change things to make it better so when you come out of this, you can significantly grow. 
So it sounds to me like there's a really careful balance between keeping your clients, your customers happy, keeping your staff happy, but also trying to cut costs. So is this something that the typical small business owner can probably do by themselves or what are they looking for where they need someone to support them in this time? Like what questions should they be asking? Um, often I see that a, like a small business owner is so close to the whole process and they're so attached to everything that sometimes they're making emotional decisions, not actually um, just stepping back and taking the emotion out of it. And that's the, and. The other thing I see with small businesses is that typically in a small business, most of their staff are yes people. Very rarely do I see a small business owner have someone they can bounce ideas off and get an honest opinion back. There's a lot of what I call yes people in their staff who are too frightened to tell their boss that their idea is stupid. Um, and that's where they, from someone outside the business, they're you know, basically a sounding board to bounce things off and say, no, that makes sense or that doesn't make sense. And that's I suppose... You want someone as well who's outside the business that's had experience beyond just your sector um, and what it is that your business does, right? You need to have someone who's, I guess, um, experienced this through other, other types of economic activity or other downturns and, and can take a, a real outsider's approach. Well, correct. Someone that's from inside your industry, yeah, in certain circumstances, they've done it the way they've done it for the last 20 or 30 years, the same way you've done it for the last 20 or 30 years. But you're not necessarily getting someone that's outside the industry going, why the hell are you doing it that way? What are you doing that for? Why are you doing this? You need someone who challenges them. So if, if it's someone within the industry, you need to make sure that they've got experience outside the industry to challenge what's actually happening to the to the, to the business owner. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's really important. I think what that, that key word there that you've mentioned there is challenging the, the business owner. And like you said, somebody internally within your staff might not be comfortable about doing that, really helping you to examine the processes. And also, they're too close to the other staff members to be able to say, you know what, that person in these times, let's take the opportunity that we've got with a downturn and with a decline in, in, uh, in, in productivity, let's take the opportunity to get rid of the weaker staff members, nobody's really going to stand up in reality as part of a team, not if you've had a good, a good team going anyway. No one's really going to respond with that, um, with that attitude. Yeah, but the other thing, the one thing that is different this time of the GFC is the job keeper. And what I'm talking to a lot of my clients and people about is if you are eligible for the job keeper, pick one or two staff in your team and you keep them on and their job for the next six months is to work on your processes and on your systems and to fix things up and to make them more effective. So when we come out of this, you've actually had a process improvement in your business paid for by the government, not by you. You'd be crazy not to use that process. It's, I'm not going to say it's free money, but it basically is free money if you qualify for JobKeeper to actually improve your processes, improve your systems and come out the other side looking better. I'm hearing a lot of stories about business owners who are, you know, saying that their staff members, um, because they're in retail or because there's actually nothing for them to do, that the staff members are almost refusing to come into work. Now, forgetting about what the legalities of that is with fair work, what sort of tasks can you give your staff members to help improve your processes and procedures for future? What, what can you give them to do that will keep them active and busy and engaged with your business? Well, it depends on the business. But, for example, if you're a cafe, 
look at, okay, is it time now to improve your um, front of house systems? Can you automate your front of house systems better? Can you do things differently there? If you're a restaurant, is there things you can do about the, or even a cafe, is there things you can do about how you order your products? How do you get, how much stock do you carry? Have a look at your menus. Maybe it's time now to go, I don't need a 30-page menu. Let's, for the next six months when we relaunch, we're just going to focus on 10 items or something like that. Rework your menu. Reduce your cost in stock, etc. Look at those sorts of things. If you're in another business that supplies it to them, look at how you do your own process. If you're supplying to the restaurants and you're, say, a food wholesale or something, Look at your processes of how you're buying your food, storing your food, shipping your food, all those sort of things through the process. So it's looking at what you're doing. You know, changing menus if you're a restaurant or a cafe or if you're a beauty salon, what can you do? Spend the time to, okay, let's rework the website to get it up. Let's get some marketing strategies going. So you know, I've got a client right now that is, you know, was in the middle of relaunching his business and what they're doing, they're taking the time now to sit back make sure their website is up to date properly. They're getting the time to get all of their marketing together now. So it's all ready, you know, they're working on it. And then when all the things relax, they're going to go, bang, I'm going to now go out and market because I'm ready. Yeah. It's all about getting ready. And all about hitting the ground running, absolutely. Look, um, Wayne, I'd like to thank you so much. We've come right to the end of our half hour here on Small Biz Matters. Thank you so much for explaining so much of your experience and your knowledge working um, on the outside of businesses. How can people find out more about you and what you do? Well, the easiest way is just to go visit my website, www.arealcfo.com.au and they can contact me directly from there. Fantastic. If you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and you can listen to the interview in full. Now, stay with us here on Small Biz Matters. After the break, we're going to be speaking to Adam Zucchetti, who is a former journalist. He's going to support us with some great education around the copy in your website, in your blogs, wherever it is that you produce written copy. How can you improve on that and make it even better? better for you and your clients to digest, plus that all-important grant funding. How do you write a really great grant application or an awards application? Stay with us here on Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. Thank you for joining me, Alexi Boyd, on another great edition of Small Biz Matters. If you missed any of earlier on the program, we had Wayne Wanders, the virtual CFO, talking to us about dealing with a crisis. What can you do in terms of your processes, your procedures, handling staff, handling expenses, and really analysing your own business in this time of crisis? And the last time, of course, we experienced that was during the GFC. What can we learn from that? And do you need someone to come into your business and support you through those learnings. Now we're going to be talking to um, a journalist, which are always my favourite people. And the question for today's uh, interview is, are you a wordsmith? One skill we really suck at as small businesses is singing our own praises. It means that our website, our social media posts, or any copy really that we write at all lacks that which is intended, which is to advertise us. It also means that grant funding applications, attempt to win business awards, or attracting positive media coverage might fall short of highlighting your achievements. And you miss out because you're not fantastic constructing sentences oozing with your own praises. Here's a question for you. If you read the copy on your website, 
right? Would grammatical errors jump out at you like they would your reader or people who might think that that's unprofessional? Similarly, can you sit down and answer several questions about the successes of your business and your journey without thinking about it? Or are you, like lots of businesses, not so crash hot at the word thingy? Well, today on Small Business Matters, we're joined by an expert. Adam Zucchetti is a freelance journalist and copywriter with 13 years' experience across business, real estate, personal finance, and he's the longtime editor of My Business, one of Australia's longest-running publications for small and medium-sized businesses, and it also hosts podcasts. Um, so today he's going to be talking to us about what to do in relation to your business and how to improve the copy. Where do you write things down? Where do you advertise yourself? Where do you talk about yourself? And why is it so important to nail that process as part of your business? Welcome to the program, Adam. Thank you so much for having me, Alexi. It's been great to have um, you on the show, actually, because we've been talking about this for quite a while and we, we move in similar circles when it comes to small business and understanding what small business is. And, and congratulations, by the way, on the launch of your own small business as well, Pause and All. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and now you, you're immersed in that culture and you really know what it's like to go through the trials and tribulations of running a business. So It is very interesting to see it from the other side, actually, yeah. <laughs> you can write about it, you can talk about it, you can interview it or you can just live it which is what you're embarking on now so good luck with that if you need any help let me know <laughs> <laughs> thank you so let's talk about um, what the process needs to be when creating a written piece of con- content essentially doing your own journalism what's that process start with Okay, so it's obviously going to depend on the medium and what you're actually writing. But if you're doing sort of long-form content, things like reports or or big website documents, things like that, even website copy, um, I think that a common mistake is that people start at the beginning and then just try and work through. But really, fundamentally, you need to think about what you're trying to achieve. What's the purpose for writing this? That should actually be your starting point. Is this marketing? You know, is it social to be shared? Is it an award submission? Are you putting a a briefing proposal to government? Look at that end messaging and what you want to achieve first, and then you sort of build backwards from there. And is it a matter of thinking about um, what the end reader would be looking at when they're reading your information? Is that sort of how you have to put yourself in the perspective of the end user? Yes, exactly. So if you're putting out a social post and the aim is you want to drive clicks to your website, you've got to think about how you're going to do that, how that reader taking this message is then going to go, oh, yes, actually, I do want to click through. Uh, It's the same with any sort of type of, of writing that you're doing. Make sure that that purpose is in mind and that what you are saying is actually relevant to achieve that purpose. And I guess that's that's really behind it. I mean, we, we're used to that as small businesses. We think of our end client. We think of the person who is using the product at the end of what we're producing. So if we can put that hat on when we're thinking about our copy, um, that certainly does help. The problem, I yes. guess, is we tangle ourselves up in knots when it comes to constructing sentences with that in mind. So have you got any tips around, um, I guess, providing a bit of a a formula that you can... Um, you can produce it. That means you're not repeating yourself over and over again. It's kind of like we take ourselves back to essay writing at school and, you know, do we want to just be labouring the point? How do you get away from that? That, uh, yeah, it, it kind of is a, a bit of a process to it. So as I said, start with the, the end result first. That's what you want to achieve and work backwards. Um, plot out your main bullet points. If you've got particular messages that you want to put across, you know, you might be talking about a couple of different products, for example, things like that. Um, 
if you're referencing any particular research that you or someone else have done, if you've got any customer testimonials or things that you want to do, list those as your main points because then you can sort of build out from around there. Um, think about the, the kind of tone that you want to use and how that's going to influence your end reader. I mean, for government, for example, you want to be quite formal. So you don't want to use you and I. Um, you don't want to use abbreviations and things like that. You want to sort of write everything out and make it quite a formal, structured uh, piece. Social media is obviously very different. Uh, that's usually very conversational and often does use abbreviations and things that we often see. So sort of plot that into it as well. Um, then think about, particularly for digital text, um, look at your SEO, so that's search engine optimization or how easy it is for Google to find you because there may be dedicated keywords or key phrases that you should be using that will help people find this document online and be able to sort of click through to you. And the same goes for social media. You may have hashtags that you want to build into that as well. And also, I suppose, be flexible. So don't have it rigidly structured that there's no room to move. If you're sort of doing interviews with customers that you want to put things into or you're doing a bit of research yourself to, to sort of build it out, leave a little bit of space, a little bit of flexibility that you can sort of adapt your messaging and then write your heading and especially your opening paragraph last once you've got everything else built around it because that's the draw card, that's what's going to get people to continue reading and that's you can craft that from a, a much better knowledge space if you've done everything else first. And I suppose that those, because we have such a short, short attention span these days, those first couple of lines or your title have to be um, particularly grabby. So do you do that at the beginning of this process or is this one of those things that you wait until you've ri written it and then you come up with a catchy title at the end? So I always start with a draft title because it gives me a bit of direction as to what I'm doing, but it's never fixed in stone. So it you come back to it once you've written everything else you come back to that and go well actually it's changed direction a bit i think it's more about this or whatever that is or you've done your your key phrase uh analysis and things like that and you've got a particular key phrase that you need to include in that heading to make it findable for google those kind of things so you can finalize the heading later but if you've got a bit of a working title it can just help guide you through the process and I suppose the other golden thing about spending all this time writing this content is, do you think about ways that you can deliver it um, on different platforms? So if you are doing a blog post, for example, that's particularly long for your website, can you then think about ways that you can convert that into smaller social media grabs or uh, maybe later on use it as part of a, uh, an application process? Do you have to be yes. thinking about that as you write? I don't know that you have to because once you've produced uh, a document, a piece of writing, you can then reuse it. But definitely there is so much that can be reused and you can get social media posts, you know, little quick grabs out of a longer a longer document. Um, something that comes to particularly grant writing and award submissions, they can actually be really good for... Uh, sort of adapting and updating your business plan. There'll be things that you'll uncover, you know, risk mitigation, those kind of things, and uh, marketing opportunities, all sorts of different things that you can then build in. So you sort of look back at, at the, the document that you've created and you go, okay, how can I use that? Where can I use that? Where is that going to be relevant for both me, for my customers, for my suppliers, basically anyone and everyone that's associated with the business? And I never thought of that, really. I never thought about the fact that you are spending all this time 
writing um, what can be a little bit of an onerous or arduous application process, how can you then use that for other purposes? I I quite like that idea. I, I like the idea of thinking about the grant writing um, in other ways as well. Now, let's talk to about your role as, as a journalist. And one way that small businesses interact with journalists is by looking for PR, which I think we're becoming more and more familiar with is an important part of our advertising and marketing strategy as small business owners. But how do you approach a journalist, which, you know, can be a little bit... Um, out of reach or if you don't have any connections with the media industry, where do you start? Okay. So I guess the the first place to start really is uh, I think a lot of people are frightened of journalists. They're frightened of the media. It's this big bad thing. Are they going to sort of go out and get me? But fundamentally, um, a journalist is just a person like you. You know, we're not the devil <laughs> we're out to get you. We're human beings. <laughs> we are. We definitely are human beings. And, you know, we get bored. We get excited. We get interested. We get frustrated just like anybody else. So if you appeal to those human elements, those human emotions, um, you really can, can make a good connection. And, we can actually end up becoming a customer of yours. You know, if you treat us with the same level of honesty, of friendliness, of integrity that you show to your customers, we can then become a new customer of yours and we can actually become, uh, I suppose, an advocate for your business if, if we've really been impressed by you. And that's a powerful ally to have on your side. So I guess that's the, the first point is treat us like human beings. Um <laughs> I would then say really target the media that you are pitching to, that you're you're going for. Um, you'd be surprised, you know, for example, as a business journalist, the number of pitches that I actually get about things like home decorating tips and recipes and things like that, they're, they're just, they're not relevant to me in a professional capacity. So I'm surprised that I, I do still sort of get them and, and flood the inbox. Um, but sort of think about it this way, you know, it's exactly the same as customers come into your restaurant looking to buy, say, light globes or hammocks. <laughs> it, it just it just doesn't work. It's not the right fit. So make sure that you're going after the right media. Um, I'd also say that just like any content you create, um, it, it does depend on what you're trying to achieve. What is the purpose of approaching the media? Uh, so local media, for example, you know, radio, newspapers, newsletters, even community Facebook groups and things like that, they can be great for reaching out to local customers and targeting your messaging around that. Um, industry media can position you as, as a real sort of technical expert in your field and showcase innovations that you may be doing, those kind of things. And small business media is obviously a great way for for sharing stories, sharing advice, sharing learnings and being part of that small business community. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you're right. There's a, there's a whole range of different ways that, again, you can use this piece of content and um, and rework it once you've had that piece written. What do you present the journalist with to get them interested? Again, have a good headline. You want to grab their attention. If it's just boring, X, Y, Z does, you know, ABC. Well, unless that ABC is absolutely brilliant and, and something unusual, it's different, it's innovative, it's just going to fly under the radar. So make it really catchy. Um, I would say, as, I, I would say as well as as as, a, as another uh, someone who gets um, targeted by PR companies myself, don't structure your email as a PDF document that you see PDF that you see PR companies do because it'll just get lost in the rest of the PR company stuff. Do something that comes from you and that will look different um, and sound different to what we're used to seeing from those PR companies. 
Yes, because you are your own person and your own business, and every person and every business is unique. So use that to your advantage. That's where you get that that, that difference uh, that can appeal. So definitely use that to your advantage, yeah. Let's talk about grant writing. My personal pet hate. I hate doing award applications. I hate grant writing, and I suspect a lot of small business owners hate it as well because we have to sing our own praises and we have to talk about our successes. And we're much better at thinking about how we can improve or talking about our hurdles rather than talking about our successes. Is it a matter of uh, the difference between the two or is it is it important to understand and, and really understand what the, what the grant's asking you to do in the first place? Yeah, I think that uh, a big problem in both grants and awards submissions is people not answering the question. And I know that particularly sort of on, on the government grant side, it can seem like it's the same question being asked in different ways. It you know, is. Like, well, I've already answered that. No, Why do it, I need to do that again? It totally is. It's, it's in something, it'll say something arduous like, what is your marketing strategy? And then the next question will be, what is your advertising strategy? And you go, I just... I just answered that. It totally is. I know, and I'm sure the, the awards um, applications that you've written, Adam, are better than that. However, a lot of them are not. <laughs> it, can, it can be really difficult, but at the end of the day, those questions are there and you do need to answer them. So in the, the marketing versus advertising thing, um, I suppose you can pull out advertising as its own section. Where have you paid to market your business, you've actually paid for that content and coverage. And then your marketing is your things like your organic social posts and stuff like that. So you can kind of split it and you think about it just with different caps on to try and answer that. And you can sort of reference, cross-reference, okay, so this relates our advertising budget is an extension of our social media marketing, things like that. So you can cross-reference by all means, but just don't copy and paste the same for both. That looks really lazy and it's not going to work in your favour. I was going to ask, what are the main mistakes that you see people make when it comes to grant um, and award applications? So definitely the copy and paste is actually a really common one. Um, Waffling. You'd be surprised how many people just waffle. They've got, oh, I've got all this word count. I can just fill it with crap. And just no, don't do it. Have your key points, deliver them concisely, and back it up with supporting evidence. Uh, Another common one is autocorrect issues. You know, we're obviously relying on technology so much these days, and there are different apps and things that can really help you. But autocorrect can actually be really bad for you. Uh, it, it was funny, I was reading a, uh, a, a Twitter stream recently and someone said that they were doing some copy for Volvo, the car maker. But unbeknownst to them, this went to print and autocorrect had actually changed the name Volvo in every instance to Volvo. <laughs> so, and also Grammarly is evil too, isn't it? I mean, I've seen my 13, 14 year old daughters use Grammarly and it's like, turn that off, turn that off right now. It doesn't, it's not even talking English. It's, it's gobbledygook. Yes, it can be gobbledygook. It can also um, use Americanization. So in Australia, that's obviously an, another big problem for us. And typos are another thing. Sometimes the, the word can actually be a legitimate word, but it's not what you actually want. You know, then and then are a great example of that, where it's a typo, so it doesn't make sense in the context of the sentence, but it still does work and it may not be picked up. But, I mean, even basic typos, we had a good laugh in the office uh, a little while ago because someone had actually um, misspelt their own job title. They called themselves a managing director rather mm. than a managing director. Wow, that's, that's pretty bad. 
Yeah, so that doesn't come across, you know, particularly if you're positioning yourself as a leader in your field, it's not a good look. So just be really careful about that and make sure that uh, you are actually sort of going over what you've written. And it's always beneficial to have another pair of eyes just go over it for you as well. I mean, the media industry has sub-editors for that very reason, is to have that, that sort of second oversight just to make sure that everything is as it should be. So who is the best person to read that? Is it someone within the business or is it someone who's completely removed from your business who can look at it from a fresh set of eyes? It depends. It can actually be beneficial to have both. If you've got the time and you've got the scope to do that, I mean, you can have a professional come in and, and just sort of proofread uh, what you're doing. You can have someone internally within the business who really knows, particularly if you're talking about something that's quite technical, it's often very good to have someone that knows the technical to go through it and check that that is correct. But on the flip side, it can be good, again, with the technical side, to have someone who's quite far removed, like a customer, who doesn't necessarily know and understand that to help you determine are you being too technical is that going to go over the heads of most of your customers because you're in the nitty-gritty of it so it really does depend what you're trying to do as to who you get in terms of that oversight now now speaking of outsiders um as an award judge is it really obvious when other people are writing a submission for the applicant it can be. It can be. So marketing speak can really stand out and work against you. It can be quite easy to spot whether you've had a PR or a marketing person draft this for you. Um, but, you, I mean, you can take on a professional writer who's, who's obviously got the expertise in making sure that it's it's you, it's your voice that's actually coming through that. You do want those first-hand sort of insights and experiences and anecdotes because that makes your story much more personable, much more relatable and about you. But on the flip side, we've actually seen um, at My Business with the, the My Business Awards, we saw many examples of people who were actually winning the awards uh, on submissions that have been done entirely by their staff. And they didn't even know until they were a finalist in the awards that they'd even been nominated. Aww. So... That's a, it's a really nice thing and it shows how much their staff have actually looked up to them and respected their leadership. But it was positioned in such a way that uh, they managed to capture the, the essence of that business owner. But they did actually say, this is us preparing it for them. And it's just a nice little thing. So it really does depend on who's doing it for you and how well they're conveying you and your business and your achievements. What a great leadership quality to have, A, people who would want to, submit an award application on your behalf, but also have an understanding about your passion and your why. And, and you've obviously brought those people on for the journey. So obviously having someone within the business, um, you know, particularly a staff member who knows you really well, I, I'd, I would say that uh, administrative um, assistants or office managers would be a really good person to support with that because they're, they're ingrained in so many different aspects of the business. Um, yep. That's that's a nice way of bringing your staff on for the journey of this award application too, right? Yes, yes, it is. And, you know, particularly if you sort of, if the business has a few different staff, you may not be customer facing every single day, but your staff are. So they're going to be able to give you feedback that you've overlooked, that you don't know about, that you've forgotten about because you're so busy doing so many different things. So it is nice to involve them because then you're getting that, that whole of business kind of coverage and approach. Yeah, and, and that's nice, isn't it? Because they'll, they'll, they will know aspects of your business that you don't even know and they can, they can really bring that to light. Uh, I want to ask you about that 
that disconnect between what you think you're writing and what the reader is reading. Now, this is important for any type of copy. And you've mentioned that getting other people to read what you've written is good uh, and and helpful to get an outsider's perspective. Um, But how do you get over that disconnect apart from getting someone else to to read it and critique it? What, What are some typical mistakes you see that um, that mean that you reading something on behalf of someone else just doesn't make any sense to you? Okay. Industry jargon is a, is a really good one. Uh, if you're putting something out to customers, you've got to be really careful about how much jargon you're using. Is it common knowledge or is it just because you are such a technical expert and that's the technical term for it, that's what you use? So be really mindful of that. What kind of jargon you're putting in, can you change that wording to something that is, is more sort of commonly used or it's more commonly understood that that's what that is? Um, think about whether you're using third person or first person, it can be very uh, very much more empowering and create a lot more trust to use, you know, I, we, us. Um, particularly if you're using us as well, you've also got the, I suppose, the warm and fuzzies. You're creating a, a community by talking about us rather than that more, I suppose, divisive uh, you versus them kind of thing. But you have to be uh, consistent. So you can't sort of switch and change. Do, it's like, it's like past tense, present consistent. sense. <laughs> yep. Yep. And make it personal if you can, you know, asking how can we help you that, you know, is that a rhetorical question? Are you actually talking to me? Are you talking to someone else? I don't really know. But if you say, how can we help you, Alexi? It's very direct and it almost demands a response from whoever you're talking to or writing to. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Adam Zucchetti, uh, who is a journalist and he's sharing with us his knowledge about what to do to improve your copy and uh, the various ways that we use copy within our businesses and and basically how to to empower your business through marketing and through grant applications and all the different ways that you write stuff uh, about yourself. Um, It's been a really interesting journey to talk about all these things with you, Adam. Um, Let's let's finish up with talking about, uh, you know, you've produced this great grant application or you've produced this great blog what ways can you use it for other purposes? How can you pick and choose and tease out the best bits for other pieces of marketing material, for instance? Again, it would depend on what the the piece is, obviously. But just sort of take a, a, a whole of business approach, I suppose, and look at what this piece of writing has actually covered and you'll see where it's relevant and things like that. Um, If you've got, say, customer testimonials, that can be a really good starting point to look at your your delivery, your customer-facing side of the business and what did they like? What didn't they like? What improvements can you take from that? How can you actually take, oh, that is a great standout example of us going above and beyond to serve this customer. Let's incorporate that into our marketing as well. Let's make sure that they... uh, Uh, have sort of liked and done a review on social media, those kind of things. So really look at how you can adapt and what it's actually saying as to where you can sort of reuse that. And social media is obviously a great place to start with um, using little bits of copy. Can you do some beta testing? Can you take parts out, paragraphs out of the, um, out of say the grant application or the blog post and then use it on social media as part of your marketing material? Yeah, exactly. Social media is a great testing ground. It is giving you sort of real-time feedback. But it's interesting to, to note that the different sort of social platforms between, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, those kind of things, 
different messaging can actually work on different platforms. So if you're just doing a, a blanket approach, this is our message that's going on all the different channels, you're going to find that some are more successful than others because some just don't have that that sort of right fit. So you can change, you can adapt, you can change the wording you're doing, obviously change the hashtags as relevant, those kind of things. You can test different times of day. Um, I can't remember who it was I, I remember sort of hearing this from, but someone was saying that uh, their customer base was breastfeeding mothers and they discovered that 2am was the best time of day to actually target them because the mothers are up. <laughs> They're scrolling through their phones on, on Facebook and things like that. So that was the best time for them to actually reach that, that customer base, that audience. So play with different things, try different things. It's a bit of a hit and miss approach, but you'll see for yourself what does work and what doesn't, and then you can really focus in on what really does work for you and your business. Well, Adam, I can't thank you enough for sharing with us all this fabulous knowledge. There's lots of great ways that we can use all the information that you've given us, whether it be marketing, whether it be applying for funds or grants or awards. Um, how can people find out more about you and the services that you offer? Uh, so you can go to my website, which is just www.adamzucchetti.com and you can see everything you want there. Uh, just, I suppose one last point that I'd like to say is that I always recommend that um, businesses set up a Google alert and you can do that for both your personal name and your business name. It's a really good way of keeping track of what's being said about you online and not just for media articles, but it will capture things like social posts and comments and, and things like that. So you can see in real time what people are saying about your business, where it's coming from, where it's going to, and you can then use that to your marketing advantage. Wow, that's fantastic. Top tip. I might get you to um, to write out a, uh, a little how-to for that and we'll share that on our socials if that's okay yep no problems fantastic look thank you so much for joining us today if you've missed any of today's program you can of course catch up via our everywhere really linkedin we've got posts uh, you can follow me on linkedin you've got smallbizmatters.com.au where there's over 150 great educational podcasts just like this one um, and i encourage you to have a listen and learn in this downtime in this weird environment in which we live Now's a good time to be looking at the back end of your business and educating yourself and improving all these different aspects of your business. You've been listening to Triple H 100.1 FM, Alexi Boyd with Small Biz Matters.